You're listening to Spurs Cast, episode 526. My name is Paul Garcia, and I am the host of the Spurs Cast. Joining me for this episode will be Project Spurs' Michael DeLeon. Mike, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing good. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a long day of basketball today. It's been crazy, so it's been nice, because I've uh, been able to just sit back and watch all the games going on. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't, you know, this is this is going to sound terrible with me as, as an NBA like person who like like watches basketball, but I haven't got to see any of the games today. I've just been a little busy. Uh, well, first of all, I, I did relax and, and get the get get some sleep in earlier, but then also I just haven't had time to sit down and relax. I've had some errands to run in, in San Antonio and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's been a little busy. So, all right, Mike, let's go to get started with the Spurs Cast episode five hundred twenty six. We're going to begin like how we always begin, which is recapping um, the, the most recent Spurs games since the last time that I recorded. Uh, last episode, I recorded Tom Petrini, and he and I were almost correct. We, we had predicted the Spurs would go three and zero in their last their last um, three games, but then they ended up going two and one with a surprising loss to the Los Angeles Clippers at home. So let's begin first, going back to last Wednesday. Uh, the Spurs find themselves on the road in Dallas. They beat the Mavericks one hundred five one hundred one. Some key um, three key factors from that game. Rudy Gay made his return to the lineup, and you know without him, they really struggled. Where they were three and seven. Uh, they had their largest comeback of the season. They fell behind by 19 points with 7.54 left in the second quarter, and they came back to win that game. And then finally, uh, Bellinelli was the leading scorer that night with 17 off the bench. So it wasn't just that they came back and won that game. It was also that you know their starters weren't playing so well that their go-to guys and Bellinelli had to be their leading scorer. And we're going to talk about him a little bit later on in this episode. Then, Mike, on Friday, uh, the Spurs traveled to Minnesota. They beat the Timberwolves 116-113. Three interesting facts. Uh, DeMar DeRozan missed his first game of the season. Uh, the Spurs call it left ankle soreness, but when you hear Pop's comments, it sounds more so like rest, like Pop talked about how many yeah. minutes he's played, how many games. So it's more so you could code it as rest. Uh, another one, they fell behind by 10 again in this game uh, with the 6.06 left in the third quarter. Leading scorers that night were LaMarcus Aldridge at 25-9 and and then Bellinelli again off the bench with, with 19. Then, Mike, the most recent game on uh, Sunday, the Spurs lost to the Clippers, uh, 103-95 at home. This is a very surprising game because, again, the Clippers were without two of their best players in Lou Williams and um, Danilo Gallinari. Vegas made the Spurs basically a nine-point favorite almost, Mm -hmm. and the Spurs lost this game. Uh, They fell behind by 19 again with 10.34 left in the second quarter. Uh, This was one of the first times where it was an 11-point game with five minutes left, and Pop actually pulled DeMar DeRozan because he was struggling so much on offense. Uh, he couldn't make any of his shots. He shot 4-16 from the floor for eight points, his worst shooting game of the season. And then he also had four turnovers. Um, and then LaMarcus guided the Spurs with 30, 30 points, but it wasn't enough to, to beat the Clippers. So, Mike, I know that's a lot of information for you. What have been your thoughts on the Spurs these last three games? Yeah, you know, it, before the Clippers game, I would have said balanced scoring has been uh, nice to see because it seems like they're getting a lot of players involved. And... Even when some players will struggle, like Jamar uh, has, they've been able to get help from Davis and Marco and, and um, even Patty on some nights. But then that Clippers game, it kind of just like, oh, watch for, I mean, uh, Burns couldn't score. I mean, Derek White had trouble scoring. Obviously, Jamar struggled. And so then, you know, I guess they looked for help on the bench and, and Marco was there, but they just probably just didn't get enough there. And um, you're right, it's, it's kind of one of those things where sometimes we're, They'll fight back and they'll get those, but every once in a while, one of those, if you get behind early, like they did in the first quarter against the Clippers, uh, they scored 38 in that first quarter, it's going to end up being too hard to climb out of. And, and even without Danilo Gallinari, like I said, when I looked at this game, I, I thought, I think the Clippers were on a five-game skid at the time. They had lost five straight. 
and uh, they just couldn't pick up any wins. I mean, Pat Beverly hasn't played great, and then he looks great uh, that night. And then uh, Harold <laughs> Harold comes in and starts. And he's been coming in, coming off the bench, and he was getting easy buckets all night. Basically, a lot of uh, pick and roll type shots. And then obviously, uh, Tobias Harris just looked like the all star, which he should be this year. But um, yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, it seemed like it was, they had this balance going down. And then it just all fell apart. It seems like um, yesterday against Clippers. Yeah, it reminded me of that. Uh, and it, this is something Marco Bellinelli pointed out just even last night in, in the locker room. He he says that it, you know uh, it reminded him of the, uh, the the Charlotte game where the Spurs were you know they were favorites that night and they just didn't come out with that type of aggression. You know, Pop basically said that the Clippers outperformed the, the Spurs in every aspect of the game. It was one of those where it almost looked like the Spurs didn't respect the opponent. They didn't come out with the right kind of energy, the right kind of physicality. They kind of thought that their talent would just win them that game, and it, and it did, that wasn't the case. I mean, all night. When they had fallen behind by 19, you kept thinking, oh, that run's coming, that run's coming. But every single time when the Spurs would chip away and get its like three or four points, there would be the Clippers to make a big basket, make a three-pointer, make a a dive to the rim, get an offensive rebound. There was just all those little plays that the Clippers made uh, without two of their key guys. And so the Spurs did see another loss. Um, Okay, Mike, one guy we both talked about there was uh, DeMar DeRozan. He's kind of been the the name right now in the headlines where he's really struggling, um, you know, really for the first time this season where it's consistently kept going for him. Uh, Tom and I talked about him last week a little bit, and and it just continued to to go on. So if we look just specifically at this month of January, he's really having a bad month right now. Um, He's playing 36 36 minutes per game, scoring 15.3 points, shooting 39% from the floor, 73% from the free throw line. Still grabbing the board, 72.2 rebounds, still getting assists, 6.7 assists, but... He has uh, he's averaging 3.8 turnovers this month, which is really high for him. Um, I I wrote a piece on Monday called DeRozan's January Struggles, and in there, you know, I gave my, my observations and why I think he's struggling and all that stuff. And two specific stats that I, that I researched that I wanted to see get your thoughts on were um, first his shooting percentage. When he shoots below 40% in a game, the Spurs are five and six, uh, and this has happened five times in January. Now, I think the bigger factor on, on why why he's uh, what what really leads to, to team failure is. Uh, when he turns the ball over right now, um, when he turns the ball over four or more times in a game, the Spurs are six and 10. And this has happened now six times in January. Um, I get in that piece. I gave a few of my reasons why I think this is happening. Uh, what have been your takeaways though, from, from DeRozan's struggles right now in January? Yeah. I mean, really, I, I guess he kind of set a real high bar like that first month because he had like, he came off like 27 points a game average. And obviously he couldn't sustain that. And, uh, you know, he was able to, to stay around 21 the, the next two, but, or, and then these last, um, what, this month, like I said, that's almost what, like, a, that's got to be, what, like a six-point uh, change, and it, it's been nice to see that he's been able to still play well in the other areas, but you're right, not until I started looking at these games, you notice where the losses, like, Charlotte, that was six turnovers last night against the Clippers, that was four turnovers, um, a lot of the losses on here, Memphis was four turnovers, and I think, I guess, since he's, like, really kind of, like, the primary, like, distributor um, and, and probably the, the leading assist guy, uh, him turning over the ball is, like, it's never a, a good thing. So that's been hurting them. I hadn't made that, I guess, that um, translation or whatever until I read your, um, your piece this morning and, and looking at that. So, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with, I mean, he is playing a lot of minutes. And, um, I mean, if you look at that overtime game against Oklahoma City, not too long ago, that was 49 minutes. Then, you know, he rarely goes under, like, 35 minutes a game. Um, so I think it's just one of those 
It's almost like he's, it's weird, he's a veteran, but it's almost like he's hitting that rookie wall, because usually when the rookies hit that rookie wall right around this time, he's been playing so many minutes uh, all throughout the season so far, and I think it's finally catching up to him. Yeah, and that's that's the, that, that's an interesting stat, too, that I pointed out in the piece, was that even though he sat out the game the other night against uh, Minnesota, he still played 98 more minutes than any other spur. And, and LaMarcus is the other spur who has gone with him, all, I mean, who's gone 100% game percent of games so yeah you're right I mean the minutes have just been a lot pop really he, he does I don't think pop trusts the, 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 the different units without him on the floor and you see that because he will start the games but then right away pop likes to keep him in with the second unit when he when, when it's DeRozan and a bunch of shooters and he likes that lineup a lot because DeRozan can kind of create through pick and roll kind of um you know pick apart the defense and find all those open shooters and I feel, feel like he, he it's more so of, of uh where, where pop doesn't want to you know take him off the floor because he because he thrives with specific lineups, but obviously we see that now it's catching up to him. So DeRozan's not using those excu- those excuses. Um, he, he's not using fatigue as an excuse. Maybe it really is though affecting him. Uh, he said on Sunday night after the game, um, physically I'm okay. I've been playing a lot. I, I've been playing like uh, insert bad word. <laughs> it was a bad word that he said. Uh, it's going to turn around. I'd rather have these moments now, tough days, and figure it out. But I always thrive on adversity in some ways. So then. Um, you know, I went back and looked at the and at his at his uh, historical data, just looking at the last five seasons, and he has had these stretches of like ten games where his numbers with increased turnovers and also low um, scoring numbers have happened, and he's always found a way to rebound. Um, just in his historical data, so I think that Demar's you know a smart guy. He knows his type of play. He's been an all star over the years. Um, and he kind of knows his game and his body and, and, you know, what, what, what these kind of um, ups and downs that go on in the season. And that's something that he pointed out. He said, uh, you've just got to face it head first. Don't try to shy around it. Can't make excuses about it. You've got to face it head first. Take the good with the bad. Take the bad with the good. Understand it. You'll get out of it. So he's a guy who's still very confident. You know, he doesn't have a, a, a demeanor where, um, you know, like this is really affecting him um, as far as like his mentality and his focus. Uh, he's kind of, he's, he looks at it more so as a challenge. Um, you know, I looked at, the, I watched the film of all the available clips of, of his turnovers, and really a lot of it comes down to, to bad passes and just losing the ball randomly. Like what I mean by that is, uh, you know, help defense is kind of getting part of his passes a lot. Uh, his passes is getting intercepted by different defenders. Um, you know, when they're trying to go to those corner three point shooters, or uh, he's throwing bad passes where they're not accurate and his guys are missing them and they're going all out of bounds. When I say that he's losing the ball, one of one of his go-to movies is that little uh, dribble hesitation. It almost looks like a euro step, and that that move has been a, a part of why he's been turning the ball over lately. He's kind of just the ball's been going off his foot. Guys have been getting their hands on it. Um, it's just randomly going off his hands. He's been stepping out of bounds a few times. So there's been some uncharacteristic parts of this right now, and again, maybe it's more of a mental um, funk that he's in right now. Uh, maybe it's because of the tired legs, like you mentioned. Um, and also, I think that. If you look at the teams they're playing in January, it's also a part of it. They're playing some of the best defensive teams right now. So you would expect somebody who's an offensively um, um, high-usage player to struggle. They've played uh, you know, the Raptors' eighth-best uh, eighth defense, the Grizzlies' ninth-best defense twice, uh, the Thunder twice, uh, second-best I mean, second defense. So they've played some tough matchups. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to add on DeRozan? No, I mean, that's it. I mean, it's just one of those things where I, I actually wondered that myself. If there was anything else, like any other seasons where he had these patterns as well. So that's kind of interesting to see. Yeah, and like I said, uh, the sample is not huge yet. It's only about seven to ten games, so I think that we really got to wait and see if we get to like twenty games of this where he's really struggling, scoring fifteen points, um, four turnovers, basically. Then that becomes a problem, um, and that's the pop we'll have to figure out. But again, I think that you should give for now. We should give Demar the benefit of the, of the doubt. He knows his type of, of play style. Um, you know the ups and downs of a season, and and the historical data does show that he is going to figure this out um, at some point. 
Um, let's go ahead and get on to our, our next topic, Mike, and that's the um, scoring surge of Marco Bellinelli. So before um, before January 7th, Bellinelli went four straight games without scoring 10 points in a game. Then from January 9th up to, to today that you and I are recording this, January 20th, uh, in the last six games, he's just gone on a tear scoring-wise. He's he's averaging 17.5 points per game, 51% from the floor, 50% from three on 6.73 attempts, shooting 95% from the free-throw line, and getting 3.3 free-throw attempts right now uh, during these last six games. Um, you know, one of the things that one of the things I wrote, Mike, that that really what's a little bit more different from what I've seen with with Bellinelli compared to his other you know bench counterparts and Patty Mills and Davis Bertans and Jakob Pertl is that his for some reason it's almost like an x factor where where when he makes these threes it's almost like the crowd the team their energy just gets an extra boost that you really can't quantify on paper or in a statistic just because of the way he makes them are so crazy his body's flailing all over the place he's getting and ones i mean he's getting fouled uh do you see that too that that you see an increase in energy when he makes three compared to some some other spurs players oh yeah definitely you can you can definitely see that and and it's almost like now where it's it's starting to be like a surprise if he misses them just because he's been shooting at such a high percentage. And it's just crazy just because I've never seen anybody shoot like that before. It like, seems like totally offline, off balance, and, and still able to knock him down. And so I've get, I'm guessing he's feeding off of that. I mean, I know he's seen like a slight increase in minutes, but nothing like astronomical that I would see as the reason for for this uh, increase in his points. But um yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's good to see it. I think it's maybe he's just getting more comfortable again in the system again, and possibly. I mean, you know, I thought it was kind of funny. He was uh, talking um, last night after the game, and he kind of, I feel like he's talking more as like from a leadership role now, and I'm wondering if he's kind of taking that role like in that second unit as well. That that's what I actually think too. I feel like Pop has the ultimate confidence in him. Like it's almost like since Manu did retire, and you know Manu was that go-to guy on the bench, was their leader. He can pick and roll, you know, create for others, create for himself. That they really need a surge offensively, somebody who can be a spark right right away. And I think that's Bellinelli. I mean, just the kind of threes he gets off those curl screens, off the pick and roll sometimes when he kind of like, uh, gets those, those double drag screens. And I really feel like Pop has is given that confidence to, to say, "Hey, man, you, you shoot that shot well, go ahead and take it." And the numbers, um, you know, back up Bellinelli shooting, like you just mentioned. Um, you know, overall for the year on mid-range attempts, he's shooting 44%, which is in the 82nd percentile among wings. Um, from three-point range, 40% from three, which is in the 79th percentile overall among wings. So again, he's a he's a really good shooter. Um, you know, when he's on the floor, the Spurs get a 5.3 um, points per 100 possessions boost, and then defensively, they only the defense only scores 0.3 points per 100 more. So it's not it's not a huge. I mean, it's still an issue for him, but it's not as big as the the gains they're getting on offense. Um, some numbers from CleaningTheGlass.com: When he's on the floor, they're playing like a 54 win team. When he's off the floor, they're playing like a 42 win team. And now I, I do know that um, he he did have a, a, a stretch like this earlier in the year. He had a five game stretch where he he averaged um, over ten points in each game um, consistently, but then it, it fell it fell off after that. Um, how long do you think this is going to keep going? Uh, now that we're on six games here. Yeah, I mean, if you don't count that one game he was out, yeah, that's. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> we'll see how he does against Philadelphia because that's good. It's another good team that has some uh, good defenders. Um, if he can, if he can do the same thing against Philadelphia, then I really don't. I could see him doing the same thing in the next few games as well. But um, you know, I, I I have a feeling it's not going to be one of those things where earlier in the season it had come, like you said, those five games. Uh, I don't think it's going to be one of those where where he's been kind of 
before in the season where it's either off or on or it's just, you know, it's uh, a few games and then it drops off. Um, I think it, he'll probably be probably a, a lot more consistent from here on out just because it seems like he's he's found what works for him. Yeah, I agree with you too. Maybe it won't be every every game where he's averaging, you know, scoring over 10 points, but I think right. that you're right where 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 the the um, bench unit, you know, they have that confidence in him. He's their go-to guy as soon as uh, Pop Pop puts him into the game and the Spurs expect him to go on some sort of little scoring run or get some some sort of scoring edge going. All right, Mike, let's go on and go on to our last topic of the of the um, episode and that's previewing the upcoming Spurs games. Uh, we're going to go ahead and look at the next four uh, because then I'll be able to record uh, by next Wednesday. Uh, let's go ahead and begin first. Uh, their first game coming up is at Philadelphia on Wednesday against the Sixers. Uh, Philly is 19-5 and at home, playing like a 63-win team at home. Uh, offensively, they're scoring 116 points per 100, which is 7th. Defensively, they're ranked 10th at home. Uh, on the road, the Spurs are 9-14, and playing like a 34.1-win team. Uh, they're 6th offensively on the road and 24th defensively. Who do you have in this game on Wednesday <clears throat> in Philadelphia? Yeah, man, Philadelphia perplexes me so much because they, they look really good and, like, really crazy. But, and then sometimes they'll drop games that they should win. But I feel like they, especially, like, I mean, defensively, Embiid and Simmons there, and then Butler as well, are going to be strong. And then offensively, they get usually between six to seven players every night scoring in double figures. I mean, J.J. Reddick's playing really well. They're getting, like, uh, Landry Shamit. Uh, that uh, rookie uh, Ben profiled a bit. He's been playing really well lately, so that's going to be kind of hard to keep up with that firepower, I think. And so I've got Philadelphia winning it. Okay, I'm with you. I have Philly as well in this one. Uh, I think that for one, one motivation they're going to have is that remember the Spurs beat them pretty badly uh, in San Antonio <laughs> just a few weeks ago back in December. So I think that they're going to carry that. I just feel like again the energy that that their role players going to get at home, their stars, uh, their defense should be a lot better. Uh, at home in Philly, and again, the Spurs, if DeRozan's still struggling like this, then, then it's going to be a tough night for San Antonio, even if they have all, the, all their all their players. So I'm taking Philly as well. Uh, I forgot to tell you your record coming in. Um, your record is 5-5 five and five on the Spurs cast, so okay. you're 500 right there. And then uh, mine is 25-18. and 18. Um, All right, let's go ahead and go to the next game. Then the next Spurs game is, is on Saturday. They travel to New Orleans to play the Pelicans. The Pelicans are 15-6 and six at home. Uh, offensively, they're ranked second um, at home, and defensively, they're ranked 24th. One key player who will be out is Anthony Davis. He's he's out with the, with the finger injury, I believe, but he is out for about one to two weeks, so he shouldn't be there for that game. Um, who do you have in this one on Saturday in New Orleans? I think as long as they don't overlook Anthony Davis uh, or Anthony Davis now, or don't overlook uh, New Orleans, they'll be fine. But if they do, when they let Julius Randle, because Julius Randle's Playing a silent great season. If they let him go crazy, and I think even um, uh, one of the other backup bigs played well recently, and then I think they got Miritich back with you. So as long as they don't overlook them, I think they should be able to come away with the win. So you're taking the Spurs in that one, yeah. right? Okay, same here. I, again, just like you said, if, as long as they're they're focused, you know, they're not they're not overlooking the um, the Pelicans. Since Davis will be out like they did to the uh, the Clippers the other night. Uh, San Antonio should be able to try to get a win there in New Orleans, even though New Orleans plays well at home. Uh, then, Mike, on Sunday, the Spurs have a back-to-back. Uh, they host the Washington Wizards for the first time this season. The Wizards are 5-18 and on the road, uh, offensively 23rd um, on offense on the road and 27th on defense. But since John Wall went out, they're actually 7-4 and playing pretty good basketball. Who do you have on Sunday in San Antonio on the second night of a back-to-back? Yeah, this one's kind of crazy because – because I hate back-to-backs, but the Wizards, when I look at the Wizards 
and and what they've done lately. I mean, it, it, lately they've won some like what seven of the last ten, but I just can't see them. Uh, I guess it's, I think as long as the Spurs don't aren't overextended on minutes uh, the night before that, they should be able to win. That I think if they can get the Pelicans on the hills early and rest some of their guys, and they should be able to take care of that win against the Wizards. Okay, so you're taking San Antonio, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm with you too again. I, I got San Antonio against the Wizards. And, and one game that gives me confidence that they can win on the second out of back-to-back. Doing that road to home is that game against the Thunder. Remember, they won in double overtime? Yeah. Where That was one where they played on the road one night, then they had to travel all the way back home, and then uh, they placed OKC and played well. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and take the Spurs in that one just like you. Then, Mike, on Tuesday, the Spurs placed the Phoenix Suns. Played the, the Phoenix Suns, should I say. The Suns are not very good. They're four and twenty on the road, twenty sixth offensively, twenty fifth defensively. Who do you have in this one? <laughs> yeah, this is not. Uh, it shouldn't even be close. And if it is close, then it's uh, that's worrisome because the Suns are terrible. See, I've, I've got the Spurs in this one. Uh, Suns. They have like little sparks here and there, like uh, the guy I got from Washington. Um, I can't remember his name, but he's uh, Kelly Oubre Jr. Yeah, yeah. He, he's been doing well lately, but. They they can't put it together, so I don't see them winning. Okay, I'm with you again. I, I know that the Spurs do overlook opponents, like we talked about the Hornets game, the Clippers game, but you know those teams are actually pretty good. You know, just just with the pieces they have, Phoenix is not very good. Um, and obviously, you know, the Suns did beat San Antonio really early in the season uh, in Phoenix, but I just don't see this current Suns team uh, as being a team that that can beat San Antonio, even when San Antonio's having a bad night. So I'm going to go ahead and take the Spurs just like you. So you have the Spurs going three and one, and so do I. So we will see. By, by this time next week, or, or when I record next week, should I say, uh, what the Spurs' record looks like after our predictions. All right, thanks, Mike, for joining me for Spurs Cast episode 526. Just a few uh, quick reminders before I close up this episode. Keep checking ProjectSpurs.com. Um, Steven Anderson continues to provide his analysis after every Spurs game. Uh, my latest piece, like Mike and I discussed, was called DeRozan's January Struggles, where I talked about DeRo- DeRozan's January Struggles. Um, Colin Reed has a part two of his trade deadline preview where he looks at the Spurs as wings and forwards. That's available on Project Spurs. And then Benjamin Bornstein has his latest per- Spurs prospect watch over, I might get this wrong, but I'm going to try it, Ignis uh, Brasdikis. Is that right, Mike? Have you heard of that Dude, guy from Michigan? Honestly, you're, yeah, you're okay. as good as mine. Yeah, I want to say it's, <laughs> it's either Ignas or Ignis uh, Brasdikis. Uh, Brasdik, Total Spurs name, by the way. Spurs player name. So Yeah, so Ben wrote about him. He's a 6'7 forward from Michigan, and Ben writes that he's kind of becoming a, a player who could be a one-and-done at Michigan, uh, and he's kind of a projected in that late uh, late first-round area where the Spurs do have the Toronto pick. So, so again, if you want more details on him, and maybe um, you know, you, you've heard, you, you'll know how to pronounce the name better than me, uh, you can read that piece by Ben over on ProjectSpurs.com. And then lastly, if you're listening to this on, on iTunes, please leave us a rating review. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. Thank you.